This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a turn of the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined for this news slash mailbag edition by the man who is the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. What's going on, Chris? Not much. Just, uh, you know, enjoying this nice rainy, gloomy weather and uh, calming down from all this free agency. Chris, you're a very big deal, so I expect you to get us some better weather over the next couple of days. All right, all right. We'll see. I kind of like this gloomy weather, though, so you might you might be uh, stuck there. That's because you like the idea of having an excuse to stay inside and watch tape all day. Yeah, fair enough. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to some quick news bits before we dive into the mailbag. The big one, of course, Justin Houston signs with the Indianapolis Colts. No huge surprise here in the sense that Houston wanted to go somewhere where he felt he could win right away. Remember, Ballard was in the Chiefs front office, so he's familiar with Houston and there's a relationship there. I don't think that the Jets were ever really in this. At least that's the impression yeah. I got. And even though people weren't reporting that the Colts were in on Houston, it kind of seems like he was keeping everything quiet this whole time. What happened here, Chris, exactly? Were the Jets ever involved at all? And is this something where Houston just kind of had in his mind where he wanted to go and was able to keep it under wraps the entire time? The, uh, from my understanding, the Jets, you know, they it's not that they weren't interested at all. They, they checked in. Again, this is what... Uh, Every GM does. They're going to check in on a player of Justin Houston's caliber, even at his age. They're going to check in. They're going to see what they can do because there's any team would would have happily taken him for five million a year. You know, obviously. So on the only chance that they can get it, the, the GM's going to check in and see what can happen. It checked in. What Justin Houston and McAgnum wasn't the only one facing this. What McC- what uh, Houston was asking for was. It was too much money for most teams' blood. They weren't really interested. That's why you weren't hearing his names connected with places. You weren't hearing a lot of that because they just they people weren't really interested in giving him what he wanted. And then you look around and see what was out there for him. And you had the Colts who had the most money of anybody in free agency, and all, the only moves they made were the one-year deal for Funches and bringing back Pierre Desir. And they said, "All right." This we've identified. This is the guy we'd be willing to spend a little bit of money on, an edge rusher to help our defense. And it and it's just you saw that uh, deal announced, and it was like, oh yeah, that makes the most sense in the world. That's the team best suited to, to go ahead and be willing to take that risk and pay. Now we can sit here and debate and argue about why teams weren't willing to give Justin Houston a two-year, twenty-four million dollar deal. Because I think more teams should have been willing to do that. I don't think that's some crazy. I like. I'm a little stuck on why teams were thinking that's way too much money for Justin Houston, but that's 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 how they they felt apparently. So it, it went to the Colts, who had all the cap space to absorb that. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I spoke to George Bremer from CNHI Sports in Indianapolis, who's my go-to guy on this stuff and who never steers me wrong. In fact, he was the reason I kept telling everybody that the Colts weren't going to get in on the Le'Veon Bell bidding. And of course, he was right about that. And so I talked to George and he said that they're actually Colts fans 
that are finding a way to complain about this because get this, Chris, they overpaid Justin Houston. This team has a zillion dollars and they have this short window before they have to start paying players. So apparently giving Justin Houston a two-year $24 million deal is some sort of insane overspend. I've always thought that Jets fans were kind of crazy, but I guess Colts fans are pretty crazy too. Yeah, well, this is the thing about fans. They're all nuts. They're all crazy. They're all uh, unique, uh, special brand type of way. And uh, what matters most in how you're going to view them is the amount of those fans that surround you. So obviously we we deal with Jets fans the most, so we get the Jets fans uh, uh, craziness and it feels the most crazy. But then it's nice sometimes when you wander around into Colts Twitter or Broncos Twitter or wherever else, and you're like, oh, wait, these fans are just as nuts. And it's just I don't have to deal with them on an everyday basis. Yeah, speaking of nuts, people going nuts over Trevor Simeon and Stefan Wisniewski, which again, we're talking about depth moves, so I don't know why people are getting so upset, but there were some people that were not thrilled with the signing of Trevor Simeon, and there were some people that were really upset that the Jets didn't sign Stefan Wisniewski. I don't really think either one is a big deal. I think Simeon is a perfectly capable backup. All they needed was somebody with starting experience who can step in for a game or two if Darnold gets hurt, because let's be honest, if Darnold gets hurt for any real length of time this team just doesn't have the type of talent that can cover up a huge loss like that as far as Wisniewski yeah I know they need something at center but I don't even know if he's any better than Jonathan Harrison at this point he was really really bad with the Eagles last year so I'm not that torn up about it Chris we're going to address this more when we get to the mailbag but I don't think that it's really that big of a problem that they didn't sign Wisniewski or that they haven't signed somebody like Sullivan or some other low-level center yet yeah, I don't think it is either. Now we can sit here and uh, quibble and talk about whether it's a big deal. They missed out on Morris and Paradis, uh, but th- once you got past those guys, there was nobody on the market available that you you need to be upset about missing out on. There's, I'm sorry, there's just not. Wisniewski, uh, uh, you know, is sitting. Uh, whatever. None of these guys. Or somebody you really are going to be comfortable playing. Um, it's just not going to happen. Um, and really, at this point in free agency, uh, uh, Justin Houston was the last one that you could sit there and, uh, you know, complain about not getting. At this point, like, there's no real difference makers out there. Maybe it's Ezekiel Ansah if he can stay healthy, but I don't think that's a good fit here either. So there's nobody else out there. Free agency is basically over. You're going to get a couple more signings here and there, but and then the Simeon. There's people look at this the wrong way a lot of times. There's two different things you look for. Completely separate things teams look for with backup quarterbacks. If if you're going to be competing or making a playoff run or Super Bowl run then you want somebody who can come in and win you games, this and that. But there's also the – you want somebody who can help in the quarterback room, who can identify defenses, who can work with Sam through game planning. And, look, this is a, I see a weakness here in this defense. This is how you can exploit them. And that type of stuff, and that type of stuff is so valuable. And also – a lot of times, it's the Trevor Simeons of the world that identify that the most because Trevor Simeon isn't didn't make it to the NFL on his just crazy raw arm ability. Like he is a, a smarter 
quarterback that just doesn't have the physical tools to make it work. That's why he's not a a starter material in the NFL. But his it's look at someone like Dan Orlovsky. You see him on ESPN. You see how smart he is and how intelligent he is, the way he looks at the game, how he can break the things down, the way he sees things that other people can't see. That's why he was such a good backup for so long. And yeah, he ran out of the back of the end zone that one time, and that clip will be shown forever on blooper reels. We get that. That's a whole different thing from being able to sit there and look at the film and identify weaknesses and strengths and to help give the starting quarterback tips about how to go about it. And that's what most teams want out of their backup quarterback. Now, I don't know how great Simeon is there because I don't have, you know, any any history or knowledge about him there. But I'm assuming that's probably what he is, how he is. He's an intelligent guy, a quarterback that can help in that realm. And I think that's why the Jets look to bring him in because right now you got Davis Webb in there as the backup who you can – sit there and you can talk him up if you want and about his potential, but he has no experience. So they needed a veteran to help Sam in the quarterback's room, in the classroom. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. What this comes down to for me with Simeon is the fact that you simply couldn't afford to go into the season with only Davis Webb as your backup and have two guys who have a combined 12 starts in the NFL as your quarterback room. There's just no way that you could do that, especially for a team that you think is going to compete for the playoffs. You need a guy that if Darnold has a little nagging injury like he did last year and has to miss a couple of games, can step in and at least not embarrass you and maybe get you by some of the weaker opponents on your schedule. I think Simeon is probably good enough to do that. Again, not a great player but we're talking about a backup here. And if Davis Webb can beat him out in training camp, awesome. Then you know that Davis Webb can be your long-term backup. But that is what the mentality should be. You bring in Simeon with his experience. You have him compete with Webb. And then at least you know you have a relatively safe option in case Darnold goes down. Again, if Darnold goes down for any real length of time, the Jets are not going anywhere. But you just need a guy that maybe can get you through a start or two if some sort of nagging injury pops up. Because this roster is too thin to overcome any kind kind of substantial injury to one of its best players, especially Darnold, who is the most important player. But that's really all you can look for in a backup quarterback realistically at this point. And Chris, we'll talk about the quarterbacks and more in the mailbag. In fact, I want to start with the center situation because we talked about that a little bit already and we've gotten some questions on it. First one comes in from Rich Rosefort, who is one of the first supporters of this show. So Rich, thank you for that. He says, Jets had several chances in free agency to address edge and center. They've shown no sense of urgency to address either. What are you hearing about their plans to address these critical areas? I'll take this first and then I'll throw it to you, Chris. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think they went hard after Anthony Barr. They saw him as their potential solution to that problem, and he ended up reneging on the deal and going back to Minnesota. But I think if you look at the rest of the market, they went after Zadarius Smith, who I don't really think is that good anyway, and he went elsewhere. Justin Houston, they dipped their toe in the water, but it sounds like Houston kind of wanted to go somewhere where he felt he could contend right away, and the Colts obviously offer him a much better opportunity than a team like the Jets. There wasn't really that much on the edge market. You talked about Ziggy Ansah, maybe you bring him in on a one-year deal, but he's been banged up a lot too. I don't know what else the Jets were really supposed to do realistically as far as a long-term solution or even really a short-term solution. And at center, we know what happened there. They wanted Morse, but Buffalo paid him a lot more than the Jets were comfortable paying him. 
Paradis, they didn't trust the health, so they didn't sign him. And beyond that, you're looking at guys that are really not anything to write home about. You're talking about Wisniewski, who is available for a reason because he's pretty terrible. Sullivan was one of the worst centers in the league last year. Brett Jones, I know Dalvin Asario, our guy over at TurnTheJets.com, loves him. But he's kind of a jag, and I don't yeah. think much of him. And you could go on and on down the line. They may be thinking at this point, they have Harrison, who they think is probably just as good as half of these guys that are still available. Maybe they want to go into the draft and get somebody. But I think not being able to get Morse and realizing that Paradis's health was more questionable than they thought it was initially kind of changed the trajectory here for them. And now they're looking at it as... We'll see who shakes loose at some point. We'll see what opportunity presents itself. We'll go into the draft and try and find somebody. But we're not going to rush to sign some guy that we don't think is any good just so that the fans will go, yay, we got a center. Yeah, I agree. The The issue I take with that question is the, the use of the word plenty there. Uh, there. There was really one center option that they were interested in, and that was Morse. And they weren't interested in paying for it. From there, now... Again, we can debate if they should have been interested in Paradis or not, but they weren't. They never made an offer to him. So they, there was one center out there that they identified that they wanted, and they didn't weren't willing to pay up for him. Uh, so that they missed that. Uh, when you talk about the edge guys, uh, you know, most of the guys that have been mentioned and named, of course, we know were franchise tagged and staying there. They went after Barr, like you said, and also – they were interested in Trey Flowers. Now, they figured really early in the process, they found out Flowers is going to Detroit or Miami, most likely Detroit. So they stopped pursuing him at that point. And again, Flowers isn't like the pure pass rusher guy that out of the edge. But they were looking at him. They were interested in that. So those are the two guys that they identified. Just because there was Preston Smith and Zedarius Smith out there, and those types of guys out there, the Jets weren't interested in those guys. They weren't going to pay them that type of money that they that they got, and that's fine. And I have no issue with not paying those guys that type of money. Uh, you know, Dante Fowler goes back to the Rams on a one-year deal. That Missing out on those guys is not a huge loss. I mean, I'm sorry. I know you guys desperately want uh, edge rushers, but we're not talking about, overpaying C.J. Mosley, who is a great player at his position, but his position isn't valued as much. We're talking about overpaying average guys at a position of value. Like that's that. Those are two completely separate different things here. And the, you ne- if you're going to overpay, you want to make sure you're overpaying for a really good player at least. You don't want to be overpaying for average guys you don't want to be uh, – uh, Preston Smith would have gotten the fa- fans excited and then you would have been in the season being like, why aren't we getting more out of this guy for this contract? Again, the, the Justin Houston thing, I think you have can have legitimate complaints about not landing him. But they went after the guys that they thought in, I, were identifying and they just didn't get them. And now they're going to have to turn around and look to the draft. And at least fortunately for, the, for them, if they decide that they're going edge of the draft, they should be able to get a, a really good one at three. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I think what a lot of people need to understand, as much as they don't want to hear it, especially because Mike McCagnan, a lot of people, their patience has run out with him. This is a two-year process, realistically. This roster had too many holes to fill over the course of one offseason. 
they had to go out and get as many difference makers as they could and fill the rest with placeholders until next year. And then you go into the draft, you go into next year's free agency, and you try to do the rest then, and then you make your run in 2020. That's why, like you said, Chris, if you overpay for great players or really good players, that's fine. But if you overpay for average players, you're putting yourself in a bad position. And so when you overpay for C.J. Mosley, a move that at first I didn't really love, but I've really come around on it the more I've thought about it because he is excellent. And I would rather pay for quality than pay a guy $12 million who's an average player. Give me the guy who's an excellent player for $17 million. I think that's really what happened here. They tried to get Anthony Barr. It didn't work out. But they got Mosley. They got Bell. And they overpaid for Mosley. But again, I'd rather overpay for him. But I think as far as the other positions... There just weren't any realistic long-term solutions beyond Morse in their mind because they didn't want to get in on Paradis. At edge rusher, maybe you could make the case for Houston, but that's about it, and he was going to give you a year or two, and that's fine, but he wanted to go elsewhere. So I think people need to stop really thinking about it as they need an edge rusher now or they need a corner right now. It's frustrating. You want to fill all those holes, but I think that it's going to be a two-year process, and you just kind of have to make your peace with that. Everything can't be done in one offseason. There's just too many holes to fill. And one of those holes to fill, as you said, is at the edge rusher, where the Jets might be able to fill the void at number three, or they might go in another direction. It depends. But what if they decide to trade down? I thought this is an interesting question from James Ash. He says, I'm not a fan of trading down unless it's swapping picks with the Raiders at number four. What are the chances they fall in love with Haskins and trade up to number three with the Jets to make sure that some other team doesn't trade up with the Jets and snag him out from under them? I still don't think that Haskins is going to go in the top three. I know that a lot of people have this fantasy that somebody's going to trade up with the Jets or the 49ers to get him, and it's certainly possible. He had a really good pro day the other day, and his stock is up. But I just don't know that his stock is up enough for somebody to make a move like that. And with the Raiders... I don't know that that's the type of thing Gruden would do. I just feel like Gruden loves to get quarterbacks, and if you look at his history, you'll see this, that were picked in the mid-rounds and try and turn them into something. Hasn't had a lot of success doing it, but that seems to be his M.O. That said, if the Raiders did want to make a move like that, it would be ideal for the Jets because it would give them the opportunity to pick up some extra picks and still get, if Kyler Murray goes first, either Bosa or Quinn Williams. But whether or not it's actually likely... I don't see it happening, but it's not impossible. Yeah, and I mean, listen, asking either of us to predict what John Gruden is going to do is, is pretty <laughs> tough. Um, watching what he's done with this roster so far, it's like, yeah, I, who knows what he's going to do. But I still have a hard time seeing the Jets being able to get anything uh, really good as far as trade-down offers. Uh I know the pro day. I know people are starting to go a little nuts with Haskins. Uh, but that's, I felt this way all along watching Haskins. Like he could be a good, a competent play, uh, starting quarterback. But, man, does he have a low ceiling in my opinion. And from what I've been hearing since the combine is that's kind of how most of the NFL teams are feeling about him is they like him. It's like – they're watching him and it's really hard to fall in love with him and get caught up in having this, you know, these dreams, outlandish dreams of him being some type of savior with this high ceiling and this and that. So it, it's, I just don't see anybody getting really caught up and excited in uh, Haskins or Drew Locke or anything this year. You know, now if Kyler Murray doesn't go number one 
and the and the Jets come to, to pick, maybe maybe somebody's willing to take that risk and fall in love with his high ceiling, and then maybe that happens. But I don't see it with those guys. And now I could s- certainly see the Jets. Uh, I'm sure the Jets will get offers at three, whether it's you know somebody might just want to come up and get Bosa or get Josh Allen. Uh, or Quinn and Williams, they might want to do that, but I don't think they're going to get anything that is like, you know, the multiple picks that fans really want. I just, just as we get closer and closer to the draft, I become less and less convinced that that hall is going to be presented to them as much as the Jets would benefit from a hall like that being presented to them. Next question comes in from my buddy Ron Ferraro. He says, hey guys, first time, long time. Question, how many burner accounts do you think Mike McCagnon has on Twitter? And which ones do you think they are? I'll hang up and listen. (laughs) I guess this is the Brian Colangelo question. I tend to think that Mike McCagnon spends all his spare time hanging out with his wife and drinking mochiatos, but... I don't really know. He could have burner accounts. I never would have thought that Brian Colangelo and Kevin Durant would be creating burner accounts to fight with random people on Twitter. So I guess it's not impossible that McCagney has some burner accounts. Yeah, plot twists. Carl's is bur- burner account. <laughs> Actually, it'd be really funny if one of the harshest Mac critics is one of his burner accounts. You could say that he's trying to play both ends of it, and then he can go to Woody Johnson and see, see, these people are crazy. They make fun of me when I get Sam Darnold. You can't listen to them. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a McCagney burner account. I know that, so I'm one of the harshest critics. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there, there's a couple of uh, of his McCagney defenders that might possibly be burner accounts. For all I know, there, there, there's something I can go out and throw out there, but. Yeah, who knows? I I think he's too busy drinking coffee to be tweeting too much. That's what I think, too. I also think that he's too busy trying to figure out which players that he drafted in the last couple of drafts are going to be primed for a bigger role this year, which is the question that Calvin at Shady Text has for us. He wants to know which players would fit into that category. I'd love to say Nathan Shepard. But I don't think it's going to happen for him. I'm going to make the old man Shepard joke. I just don't see him doing much more in 2019 than he did in 2018. Beyond that, as far as players that could have a bigger role, maybe Deontay Burnett. I think he could get some looks as the number four receiver. We already know that he has good rapport with Sam Darnold, and he started to show us some things toward the end of last season. Maybe we see a little bit more from Trenton Cannon with some trick plays or something in the offense. Jonathan Harrison is an obvious possibility. Daryl Roberts would be another one if they don't sign another corner or trade for somebody. So those are the guys off the top of my head that I would say. Yeah, you got, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, Nathan Shepard, Darren Roberts, Perry Nickerson, and then obviously Marcus May. You can include him as well and hope he stays healthy. Those guys, you're going to hope for more out of them. Uh, dude, are we expecting it? Yeah, I don't know. That's I, I expect that we're going to see more out of Roberts at this point, uh, but I don't know how much you're going to like what you see. Uh, you know, Perry Nickerson, it would be great if if he could fill in and go there. And if Nathan Shepard could get back to what he was doing in training camp and everything, where he looked great, it was lighting things up, and he could translate that, put that into the season. But I wouldn't be holding my breath for those things to happen. The Trenton Cannon one's interesting. If you could just try to use him in a similar way that, you know, Gase used 
uh, Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant last year, maybe try to do a bunch of underneath stuff with them. Um, <clears throat> Deontay Burnett as well. And then, uh, and then Herndon, I'll, I'll say Herndon is the, the big answer there. You know, rookie tight ends typically struggle their, in their rookie year. They don't do a lot their rookie year. Herndon was, uh, was a pleasant surprise. It's not that I didn't think he was good. I really liked him coming out of college, but he was uh, played better than I expected him to play in his rookie year. And he started to, you know, get into a nice rhythm chemistry with Darnold as well. And if he can just keep building on that, and now you have Le'Veon Bell in the backfield, Jamison Crowder there with Robbie and Quincy on the outside, and that's going to open up a lot of space for Herndon. I, I could see him having a, a much better year from last year and building on that. So uh, that would be the player that I'd, I'd look to and think, okay, he's going to need to have a bigger role, and that bigger role could help the Jets win more games. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Getting back to the center position, Martin Beaumont wants to know who will be the Jets' starting center this season. I know this is going to sound like a cop-out, but I don't know. There's just no way to know that right now. It could be Jonathan Harrison. It could be some vet that they pick up now or after June 1st. It could be somebody that they draft, which we'll get to in a bit because somebody had a question about that. But honestly, that's the best answer I could give you. I don't know. Yeah, I'll... I'll give us a very similar answer with a little a little more specificity to it and i'm having trouble with that word today um <laughs> a jonathan harrison 60 percent chance uh a rookie starting uh that they get in the draft a 30 percent chance and then a 10 percent chance uh of a training camp cut guy getting in there I just think, right, obviously Harrison's the guy they have on the roster now. He's somebody, he's the only name I can give you, so I'm going to go with that. And then um, I I do absolutely expect them to draft a center with one of those third-round picks. Obviously, if they trade down, maybe they can do it late first or second, but right now, as it stands the picks, I would expect one of those third-round picks to be a center. Whether that guy will be ready to start week one or not, who knows? That's why I would give... Uh, Jonathan Harrison, the 60% there. Um, but, yeah, so that's what I'll say right now. It's got to be Harrison just because he's he's the name we know. Next question from Steven Schiffenhaus. He wants to know, your thoughts on whether Adam Gase is more of a player's coach than most people believe. Based on recent comments from Bell, Anderson, and past comments from a few other players in the league, is it possible that he's getting a bad rep? I mean, sure, it's certainly possible, but let's remember a couple of things. First of all, Bell's never played for Gase, so what he says about whether Gase is a good coach to play for doesn't really matter yet. As far as Anderson, he hasn't played for head coach Gase. He's only played for offensive coordinator Gase. And if you go and talk to players who have played for guys that were both an assistant and then a head coach, you will find out very quickly that there's often a huge difference between what they think of the guy as a head coach and what they think of him as a coordinator or a position coach. I will say that my impression is that he's kind of got that Eric Mangini thing about him where he has his favorites and there are certain guys that like him and are loyal to him. And if he clicks with those guys, it's cool. But then there are going to be guys that there's a personality conflict. And I think a lot of cases he sets certain rules or does some things that are a little bit kind of off the wall. Like when Eric Mangini 
fined, I think it was Abram Elam, like $10,000 for taking water out of the fridge in a mini bar in the team hotel. Stuff like that is not going to fly that well with certain players. So I think it's a mixed bag. I'm concerned about the number of players in the Dolphins that seem to not only not like, but also not respect Adam Gase. Again, I'll go back to the January 3rd episode of Locked On Dolphins with Travis Wingfield, where he had Joe Shad from the Palm Beach Post on. Joe Shad is as plugged in as anybody. He's always around the locker room. And you can go back and listen to that, and you'll hear a lot of issues that were going on in that locker room. Remember, there were other things beyond that, too. There was the fight with Stephen Ross, the shouting match. There was also the situation with the assistant coach who got caught on camera doing all kinds of crazy stuff was going on when Gase was the head coach there. So the question becomes whether or not he can control the locker room and can control the whole situation. We're going to find out real quickly. I think that his tenure in Miami leaves a lot of doubts. And we're going to see here with the Jets if he learned from any of those mistakes. And like you said, if perhaps he has a bit of a bad rep and it's not anywhere near the level that some people think it is. But I think there's reason to be concerned without question. Yeah, white powdery substance, white powdery substance, <laughs> allegedly cocaine, white powdery substance. That's how that has to be done, Scott. Um, but no, listen, uh, Le'Veon Bell, say, what uh, What else? Is, he just signed a contract here. Of course he's going to be talking about good things about him. That doesn't matter. That doesn't – what that, that, that opinion is irrelevant. Um, and then remember when uh, Gase first got hired and then – Alshon Jeffrey was quoted uh, saying Raven great things about him, this and that. And it's like, oh, okay. And there was a, a connection there to Chicago. But then it was also, hey, wait a second. They have the same agent. Um, so, yeah, there's players will say that. And obviously Peyton Manning calls. It speaks very highly of him. But listen, you, you remember going to school and even the most hard-nosed teacher had their teacher pets. Like, and Albert Wilson has nothing to but great things about Adam Gase. And I believe everything he says because Adam Gase brought him in with a very specific role and uh, mind for him and said, I think you can be more and better than what the Chiefs used you as. And Albert Wilson loves that. So he's one of his guys. And so Albert Wilson will defend him. He got along great with Peyton Manning. So Peyton Manning keeps going back to him. But how much of that is just, he kind of stayed out of Peyton's way or this, who knows? Um, but even the most hard-nosed teacher has their teacher pets. I, the, there's still, if you're, you know, doing a seesaw and stacking up the players that seem to be really behind Gase and the players that seem to be against Gase, that Gase against that Gase side is, is com sitting comfortably on the ground here. That, that seesaw is way heavier right there. Um, but, you know, he's got a lot of uh, front office people who believe in him and like him. And we're just going to have to wait to see how this plays out. There's obviously has to be cause for concern. But if you're if you're looking at, you know, the couple, a handful of players, especially guys who just signed contracts and haven't played with them, if that's what you're leaning on to say that he's not going to be a problem. I, I you're, you're reaching a little bit there. Next question comes in from our buddy Paulie Brzez. He says, what have your sources confirmed? My sources have confirmed that Travis Milton owes me collard greens and that Paulie's mom owes me some meatballs. I don't know about you, Chris. My sources have confirmed that Paulie is a Twitter legend. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and then I just had a new source that just confirmed to me that Paulie's mom also owes me meatballs. 
I also had a source that confirmed that you, Chris, are indeed a very big deal. Next question comes in from Alan Schechter. He wants to know, what do you think of Garrett Bradbury? Could he be the one they're targeting at center? I haven't watched a ton of Garrett Bradbury. I've watched a decent amount. I think he's pretty good from what I've seen. I'll have to do some more work on him, but here's the problem from everything you hear. It sounds like he's going to be a first-round pick, which means that unless the Jets trade back, they are not going to be getting him. Yeah, I I like Bradbury a lot. I watched some uh, tape on him, you know, in, in between the bowl season there. I, I was watching some on him, and uh, I like him a lot. I, I like what I saw on her at the Senior Bowl. Uh, the issue, like you said, he's probably going to be a late first round pick at this point. Earliest is uh, second, you know, top of the second round. So unless they trade back, I, I don't see them being able to get him. And I'm probably not going to dig into his tape that much this offseason because I, I just don't. Unless, you know, they do like uh, a, a trade back early enough in the uh, process that I know it's going to have. You could an option for him they could always try to trade back up into the top of the second round or something too so it's possible but right now i think that the likelihood of bradbury being there is is pretty slim and they're probably gonna have to look elsewhere for uh you know a center i even think somebody like the mccoy kid out of texas a&m will probably be gone by the time their third round picks come up so uh, there will be options there but it's not going to be bradbury this one comes in from Big Tech Rock 71 He wants to know, are there any other possibilities as far as edge rusher, maybe on a short one-year deal? We talked about this before, Chris. I think you could make a case for somebody like Ziggy Ansah, maybe somebody like that. I don't think there's a lot of great options, but there really weren't a lot of great options to begin with, as we talked about. I don't really think Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith were solving major problems. They were just going to be placeholders, I suppose. So I guess if you want to make a run at Ziggy Ansah on a one-year prove-it type of deal, other than that, you're probably looking at sticking with what you've got and then going into the draft and trying to get somebody, whether it's at number three or with one of those third or fourth round picks. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's nobody out there right there. And I don't see, uh, even if you told me that Ansa could stay healthy, I, I'm not saying I'd be against signing him, but I don't think that he's really fit with the uh, with what they're trying to do on defense this year. So there's nobody out there right now. And like I said, this goes for pretty much all of free agency at this point. If you're really sitting there trying to, you know, hang your hat on them making a big signing or two at this point, uh, there's, there's, there's no big signings out there to be made. So, uh, you know, if you can hold out hope that maybe he'll swing a trade, or do something like that, make a move there, because I'm definitely not ruling that out. But as far as free agency goes, man, that the difference makers are gone. They're off the board. They're signed. You're looking at depth plays only really at this point. Next question comes in from Peter Dillard. He wants to know, are the Jets going to go after Nick Perry? And also, who is still left at center that's worth pursuing? We talked about the center thing a little bit earlier. There's Brett Jones. Wisniewski's probably not coming here. They might be able to go after Josh Sitton, who's a guard, but they might be able to use at center because he's taking snaps there, at least in the preseason and in training camp. I don't really think there's a lot of great options beyond that. John Sullivan's out there. Those guys are all pretty much jags. I don't know that there are any improvement over Harrison. Maybe you bring one of those guys in, but I think realistically, they're probably thinking that they'll wait until after June 1st and or go after somebody in the draft. I would say going after somebody in the draft is a very strong possibility. As far as Nick Perry, I guess they could go after him, but I haven't heard anything about it. Yeah, I mean, listen, we, we talked about the Packers 
overspending for Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, and they had Nick Perry on the roster who they let go to overpay for those two average guys at the position. Um, Nick Perry, sure, go ahead. You want to bring him in and have him, but he's he's not a difference maker either. I know you guys, fans want the edge guy so bad that they're just willing to take anybody who plays the position. Um, the the goal here is to find somebody that really good that plays that position. Uh, you might be able to find that guy in the draft. You that guy is not Nick Perry though. Uh, you know I'm not against the idea of signing him to a low enough contract, but he's he's not. You you can be happy if they sign him, but again, just like I was saying before, you'd end up being disappointed and halfway through the season wondering why he's not doing more and the reason why he wouldn't be doing more is because he's nick perry and he's not really going to do more he's he's nick perry he is what he is yeah no question can't argue with you on that one chris as we finish up part one of this mailbag we had so many questions that we are going to do part two on tomorrow's podcast so stay tuned for that a lot of outstanding questions there And Chris and I will be back to answer them tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure you check out Chris at JetsInsider.com. Follow him on Twitter at CNimbly. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.